Happy Halloween, Norse Kalangai of Happis. Hello and welcome to this special Halloween edition of the Ghosts and Folklore podcast. I'm Mark Rees and on each episode I investigate a different, weird and wonderful subject. And on this episode we are going to look at some of Wales's most haunted places. We are going to talk to real-life ghost hunters to find out how they go looking for ghosts on the spookiest night of the year. My good friend, Mr Owen Staten, Wales's greatest storyteller, will be joining me, will be back on this show to talk to me about my new book, Paranormal Wales, and best of all, as regular listeners will know, I love a cheesy sound effect, and I have tucked away the greatest sound effect ever somewhere in this episode. So listen closely right until the end for the best sound effect you will hear this Halloween. Now, that is a heck of a lot to squeeze in to one episode, which is why this episode is going to be the longest one ever. This episode is going to be epic, so I hope you've stocked up on Halloween tricks and treats to eat along the way and a big mug of coffee, because you are going to need them. <laughs> I'm going to need them. Let's see if we can get through this together. Now, before we dive in, I'd just like to explain quickly where the idea for this episode came from. Because once a year, I host a live event called Ghosts of Wales Live. Very imaginative, I know, but Ghosts of Wales Live. And in 2020, sadly, for the first time in quite a few years, I am not able to host one of those events. So what I've decided to do is to combine it with my podcast. This episode is, in effect, the Ghosts of Wales live event, but put onto podcast form. Now, that is a good thing in a way, because this means it is going to be the most popular Ghosts of Wales live event Ever. When I usually do this, it means squashing a few hundred people into a dark room somewhere tucked away in deepest Wales. But because this is a podcast, it means for the first time ever, all of my friends out there in America, in Canada, on the moon, wherever you are listening, you can all join in. So I think. While it's it's very sad that I can't see people in person this year, I think it's wonderful so many others can join in. Now, what usually happens at these events is we have ghost stories, we have special guests, we have some ghost hunting, and the highlight of each one is spooky belly dancing. Yes, Spooky belly dancing. Not from me, you'll be glad to know. Nobody, nobody wants to see me belly dancing. But we get the Lotus Sisters, the amazing Swansea-based Lotus Sisters, to do the belly dancing for us. Now, what I've tried to do with this episode is to get all of those people who are usually involved to join in in some way with this episode. Sadly, I could not think of a way to get belly dancing onto a podcast. If if anyone does know how I can do that, please let me know and I will make it happen in the future. But the rest of it, the rest of it is all coming up on this podcast. So we are going to have ghost stories. We are going to have talks about my new book. We are going to talk about some of Wales's most haunted places and my special guests, including those professional ghost hunters I mentioned earlier who would normally conduct the paranormal investigations at the live events will be popping up. So, that's enough waffle and build-up. Let us start with a very quick and very eerie traditional Welsh Halloween ghost story. Now, this little piece of folklore pops up in various sources from the late Victorian times into 
the Edwardian times, and I am going to tell you the most common version of this story. Now, this story concerns a girl, a servant girl, working in a house in Wales, a well-to-do house, and she is determined on Halloween to work out who her future husband is going to be. Now, if you've listened to previous Halloween episodes, I've spoken a lot about how girls, and yes, it is stereotyping, but it was usually the girls who would go out and try and divine their future husbands, their future love life, by using all manner of strange ways like throwing nuts on the fire or throwing yarn out the window or visiting crossroads at midnight. There are all these different ways that girls can work out who their future husband is going to be on Halloween. But there is one method I have not spoken of yet, and that is the method this girl decided to attempt. The Shades of Night had fallen on October the 31st. All Hallows' Eve was upon us, or Norse Kalangaev, as it is known in Wales, the night before the first day of winter. Norse Kalangaev had arrived in that dark spot which is said to be somewhere between Cardiganshire and Carmarthenshire. And it was under that cover of darkness that she sneaked out of that lovely big house she was working in and headed for the parish church where it is said if you run around the parish church nine times on October the 31st you will obtain a sight of your future husband. Sounds quite easy enough really walk around the church or run around the church nine times and there you get a sight of your future husband. So she did this quickly so she could get back to the house before anyone had noticed she had gone. But as she did so, there in front of her was her master. She now knew she was in trouble. Instead of being at the house, being sensible, working hard, She was off gallivanting, running around churches on this silly mission, this this foolish notion she had that she could work out the future and work out who her husband would be while she had been busted. She immediately ran back home and there she saw the lady of the house waiting for her. She said to her mistress, why, why Did the master have to come after me and frighten me? Why could I not be allowed to just do this one thing on October the 31st? But after listening to the girl's account, the mistress was, and I quote, greatly alarmed and was taken ill. In fact, she was so ill, she herself believed that she was, again, to quote, doomed to die. More than that, her husband would remarry and be happy without her because she believed that that girl had in fact seen her future husband because her husband had not left the house that night. She could not have seen her master because her master was at home. And after running around nine times and coming face to face with this what must have been an apparition, this ghost of her master, his wife realised that she would no longer be of this earth if her maid was instead destined to marry her husband. While she could have been overcome by jealousy, while on her deathbed she was more concerned about the safety of her children. And she said to the maid, You are to become the mistress here. When I am gone, please look after my children. Be kind to my children. The maid agreed and the mistress passed away. And that is what happens when Halloween divination does not go to plan. And on that cheerful note, let us move on to the next session of this Ghosts of Wales Live podcast. Now, whenever I do these events in person, 
I use it as a chance to talk about whatever my latest book might be. And this year, I published a new book all about Wales's most haunted places called Paranormal Wales. Now, talk about terrible timing. This book was released the exact week that Wales, that the United Kingdom, was put into lockdown. So I was unable to have any kind of launch party, and I was hoping to launch it at Ghosts of Wales in October instead. Again, we know that sadly that has not happened either, so I am going to do it on this podcast. Now, rather than interview myself, because that would be a bit weird, even for me, although I have I have actually interviewed somebody called Mark Rees in the past, which looked a bit weird in the newspaper. Mark Rees talks to Mark Rees. But rather than do that on this podcast, I have invited my very good friend back onto the show, Mr. Owen Staten, Wales's greatest storyteller, to interview me on my podcast. I am effectively going to hand my podcast over to Owen. And by the magic of the internet... I think we can hand over to Owen right now. So, fingers crossed. Owen, is there anybody there? Hello, how are you? Very good, very good. I'm about to hand over the reins to you now, Owen. This is now your show. This is now your Ghosts and Folklore podcast, I guess. Wow. Well, it's like a dream come true, Mark. This is absolutely fab. (laughs) Look after it. My own own podcast. Well, if you give it to me, I'm not going to do it as well as you, but I am here to, to look after it uh, for the time being. So, um, yeah, we're going to talk about your new book. Is that okay? That's what, That's the whole point of the episode. So, yes, please do. Thank you, Owen. Excellent. Okay, Mark. Um, well, welcome, everybody. We're here to um, celebrate uh, Mark's new book, which is, of course, um, a landmark for him and a landmark for us. And um, this is, Mark, your, um, your fifth book, following on from the Little Book of Welsh Culture, the Little Book of Welsh Landmarks, Ghost of Wales, the um, uh, Tales from the Victorian Archives, and the A to Z of Curious Wales, and now Paranormal Wales. It is, yes. I'm, I'm, I'm racking them up slowly. Yes, yes. There you are. You're almost getting a bookshelf full. This is fantastic stuff. I mean, uh, you'll have your own <laughs> section in the library soon. Um, I'm beginning to notice a bit of a pattern, Mark, and Wales, mm-hmm. strange things. When did your interest in these strange and otherworldly begin? Was there something in particular that sparked this curiosity? There's, that's a good question. Um, it's, it's always been there. And I, I think if I was lying in a psychologist chair right now, um, like Tony Soprano, and, and they went rummaging into my childhood, I, I think, you know, you, you'd find things like, I, I can remember seeing Ghostbusters in the cinema in 1984. Um, do you remember that, Owen? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, yeah. Do I just... Yeah, no, something like that is quite, you know, formative. I, I can remember reading Dracula for the first time. Um, do, you, do you remember Ghostwatch in the early 90s? I do remember Ghostwatch, yes, indeed. Yes, by, uh, by another Welshman, actually, by, written by Stephen Volk. And I, I think all these things growing up were, were hugely important, hugely influential to me. And I think the big turning point was when I became a journalist. Journalists can do things that you know, normal people can't do. And so, for, for example, if you want to go and visit a haunted house and spend the night there, most people, if you phone up and say, can I spend the night looking for ghosts in, in your castle, they'll say no. But if you do that as a journalist, you get a bit more leeway and they'll let you in. And so I think it's this combination with this, this childhood fascination with ghosts and spooky things, and then my, my career path in later life that gave me the opportunity then to actually go in and, and write about these things. Excellent. So as a child, were you, all, you said Ghostbusters. Were you always fascinated in the, um, the Hammer horror movies, the Vincent Prices, the, um, um, the, those type of things? Did they really sort of pique your interest? And was that something that growing up you were really sort of into? De- de- definitely into. The, the interest with those actually came a little bit later. Um, I mean, I, I, Hammer horror is, is, is my go-to Friday night watching now. You know, I've got, I've got the box sets. And, you know, I think the last one was The Reptile I was watching. But okay. as, as a child growing up, they were already a little bit old by then. I, sort of, I was growing up in the 80s. And Hammer had, well, I, th- I think the last Hammer film was late 70s. And so by then, they were already a little bit old school. And it was only in my sort of teenage years that I discovered them then. And, and from then, yeah, I mean, I mean Christopher Lee is, is a huge influence. The Wicker Man is, is possibly my favorite film. 
and and you know Vincent Price is is the king. So yes, but not so much as a as a young child. I think as well. Um, you're a similar age to me. I can fondly remember and one of my most horrifying experiences as a child was um, there was a little video van that used to come around the village where I lived. Okay, and it was a, a van that literally had about 25 VHS videos and Betamax in the back, and um, you could hire them. And um, a friend of mine who I was staying over with, he um, hired an American werewolf in London, Ooh, and. Yeah. Um, that had on me as a young boy um, I can remember that scene where um, he's running to the forest and you see him in bed and the werewolf face suddenly comes on and it absolutely terrified me but if all honesty that made me so interested in that sort of thing and I think in the early 80s there were a lot of um, sort of horror and um, there was a boom in that sort of film I wonder is that something you ex experienced as well? D definitely in the early 80s. I mean, bizarrely, one of the things that really sticks in my mind as being quite terrifying back then was uh, Michael Jackson's thriller. At the th at, again, I'm sure you remember at the time, there was so much fuss about it. And you're like, oh, come on, you know, it's a music video. And I'm sure that's what the parents thought when they, they let their kids sit down and watch it. But then after that, Vincent Price kind of, well, no, Vincent Price is later. But when he transforms, <laughs> that is just... It's at the time was just the most horrific thing I'd ever seen. And um, yeah, I mean, the, the 80s were a, a very, very good time for horror, weren't they? Absolutely. So growing up, I mean, in this background of, with this interest in this type of thing, when you went into journalism, I mean, I can remember you as a, a sort of a showbiz reporter and that sort of thing. Were you always trying to push for um, these more curious, these more paranormal type of stories when you were working um, locally? Yes. I mean, one of the... What, what you find with, with journalists, and th this isn't always the case, but most journalists start as just a general news reporter, and then they specialize. And so, for example, a, a journalist with a love of football will naturally write more football stories until eventually they are a football writer. With, with me, my passion has always been for the, the arts, so for, for theater and, and the visual arts, the performing arts, opera, that side of it but also the ghosty stuff. Now, obviously the ghost stuff, you, you can't write about every day. There's, there's only a limited sort of window for it, but certainly every Halloween, any opportunity I had, I was out there writing about spooky things, whether it was, you know, the, the, the top 10 lists that newspapers love, the top 10 most haunted places in Wales, those kind of things, but also looking for new places, new places other people hadn't, written about. And they are the places which really inspired some of my books that came later. So it's, it, it is thanks to the, the journalism that was the, the springboard then into all the ghost books I'd write later on. Fantastic. Uh, so you went from that, you took a big sort of leap of faith, jumped into the world of books, wrote um, your first couple of books, then got into the sort of um, the Welsh sort of um, uh, the Victorian archive stuff, the ghost stories. And this new book, Paranormal Wales, is a lovely mix of eerie locations and strange happenings. Is there one place in particular that made you sit up and think that there may indeed be something going on here? One place that perhaps affected you that's featured in the book? Um, My, my, my sort of answer to that one and, and luckily it does feature in the book as well but th th there isn't there isn't a single place or a single event that has made me think yes this is paranormal but i've been in lots of places where there has been things that you can't explain and i think the one place where so much has happened is Craigenorse castle in the swansea valley um which i'm sure mm -hmm. you're very familiar with very um, well the, the the former home of adelina patty who was this operatic superstar, the first diva in the late Victorian age. And she settled in Wales because, well, she wanted to get away from all the, the, the prying eyes. She was there with her second husband and things. And she is now thought to be one of the many ghosts there. And of all the experiences, there's, there's been two in particular, both of which happened in the same part of Kriganos. Adelina was so, so rich. She actually built her own opera house, her own little personal theater in Kriganos. It's now a, a listed building there. And one of the novel features she built into it was a slanting floor. And this floor meant she could put the sort of orchestra and players underneath the stage to cram people in. And she'd be up there singing and all the musicians would be out of sight underneath this slanted floor. Now, underneath that floor on one occasion, 
I was there with a friend and we were, we were filming a documentary which had nothing to do with ghosts whatsoever. We were just there. It, it, was about, uh, it was about opera. It was about Adelina, not ghosts. And we had these big lights trained on us to be illuminated for the cameras. And joking, I said to him, I said, look, you do realize this is where the ghosts are. And as I said that, the light bulbs that were on us exploded. And <laughs> he, he made the cameraman delete the footage. But he, my, my colleague who I was filming this with jumped out of his skin uh, after that happened. And it, it was perfect timing. You know, I, I said about the ghosts, these things exploded. And in the end, we had to move out of there. We couldn't get the lights to work down there. But... I wasn't joking because the other incident which happened in Kraigenhorst, which did make me really think, and it's one of the most, I, I, I have a lot of difficulty explaining this because it's such a ridiculous ghostly experience, but we were there on an, it was a bit of an organized ghost night. And I, I'm always a little bit skeptical about these things because, you know, people, people if, they, if they pay money, they expect things to happen and, you know, and things did happen. But at one point, we were doing what they called scrying, which is where you look into a mirror. And the idea is a ghost or something might put their face onto somebody else's face, and you see someone else's face on your face in the mirror. And me and my friend were watching uh, a girl we were with sitting there looking in the mirror. And as we were watching her face in the mirror from behind, she grew a beard and a mustache on her face. And... She, she definitely did not have a beard and mustache beforehand. And as we were standing there watching it, this, this big bushy beard grew. And she saw it herself. She freaked and jumped up and turned around and it was gone. Now, it was set up in a dramatic way and there were candles and things. So maybe, yes, maybe the candles and the lighting and all this stuff could have done that. But we, we tried to recreate it quickly and we couldn't. And it, it sounds insane, but the, the spookiest thing I think I've ever seen was in Kraigenhorst, where uh, a lady who was with us grew a beard. That's amazing. Um, there's a really nice bit about Kraigenhorst in the book, actually, which, um, which sort of piqued my interest. And another one that jumped out at me is the piece that you wrote about um, the Prince of Wales pub in Kempfig, which I know is somewhere that you've spent a bit of time as well. Um, it's drawn a lot of attention over the years, and a lot of people have claimed to have some real unusual experiences there. It's been featured in the news, it's featured in your book, it's featured in a lot of other publications and, and sort of haunted um, magazines and things like that. What's your take on all that about the, um, uh, the recordings and the voices and the walls, and etc.? Anything? Well, the, the Prince of I'm glad you mentioned the Prince of Wales because I think that is the one I'm, I'm most proud of in, in that book because if you look at all the other readily available ghost books out there on the show. You know, if you go into a bookshop and look at the books there about Welsh ghosts, even, even Peter Underwood, who, are, who I look up as, as, as the god of writing about Welsh ghost books, nobody else has written about it in a book. And like you mentioned, in the early 80s, there were TV cameras, there were people from America flying over to come to the Prince of Wales in Kenfig to investigate these strange voices. And then all of a sudden, everyone just forgot about it. And I assumed that meant maybe the activity had died down, maybe it had gone away. And in my, in my role as a journalist, I popped along to write an article for um, Wales Online. And it's, it's still out there. If you do a search for Wales Online, Prince of Wales, Kenfig, you, you'll find this article that I wrote a few years ago. And I popped my head in just to see what had happened to all these ghost stories. And it turns out they hadn't gone away. If anything, they'd escalated. But people had just stopped, just stopped looking. They'd stopped asking. And because they don't advertise it, because a lot of pubs like to use ghosts in a, in a commercial way. You know, there'll be big banners outside saying, we are the most haunted pub, come in and spend money. And they don't do any of that. So people had forgotten this place was haunted. And so it was only by, by taking the initiative and actually going there myself and doing some investigating that I discovered not only is it still haunted, it's even more haunted than before. And to answer your question about what do I think is going on, well, I, I'm not a big fan of what they call the stone tape theory, which I, I guess, are you familiar with the stone tape theory? Yeah, yes, I am, yeah. But yeah. Uh, there's sort of recordings in the, in, in the walls, really, isn't it? Yes, yes. And it's, I mean, it's derived from what, what was a work of fiction, 
which in itself should be a, a warning sign. But if, if we assume this can work, the, the idea is that the, the stones in this building are so old, and it, it is an incredibly old building, I'll give it that. And the idea is that these stones, almost like a primitive video recorder, have recorded sounds and maybe images from over the years, and they are playing them back. And people are, are you know, they're hearing sounds which were first made hundred, hundreds of years ago, whenever it was. So that's the, the theory. I'm, I'm not a big fan of the stone tape theory, but if we, if we take what people say as being true, that the rooms are locked, there is nobody inside, and there is the sound of an organ being played, well, you know, I, I can't explain what is doing it. So to, in a roundabout way, to answer your question, I have no idea what's going on there. But, but a, lot of people, a lot of people seem to think there is something uh, and, and I can't, I, I certainly can't disprove what these people are saying. And to make it even eerier, some of the, the, the newer ghosts, which I, which I found out about, uh, are actually a bit more interactive than the, the stone tape ghosts from the 1980s. Nowadays, there's even some ghosts who are said to be throwing objects at members of bar staff and things. So that does sound like it's escalating. And, and one, one little thing I did love when I was there, and he's, sadly, he's retired now, but Gareth, who was the landlord at the time, just a couple of years ago, he developed a friendly relationship with these ghosts. And he, he said to me, he doesn't call them ghosts, he calls them his friends. And each night before going to bed, he says, good night to the ghosts, to his friends in the building, and keeps them on side and keeps them happy and that, that seems to be working. They seem to be, you know, on, on, on good terms and, and not causing any trouble. So maybe, maybe there is something to be learned there. Maybe if you are nice and respectful to any potential ghosts, you can avoid any of the shenanigans that we see on these kind of Blair Witch type TV shows. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, there's a, there's a lovely piece in the book all about the uh, the Prince of Wales with some fantastic photographs as well. It really is an atmospheric place, and um, I really enjoyed reading about that. Also, one that I did enjoy, and one that's quite close to my heart, is that you mentioned the White Lady of Oystermouth Castle, and she features strongly with a number of accounts mentioned in the book. And she's probably just one of a number of white ladies that we see, um, uh, in, especially in Wales. I mean, I, can, I know the, the Margam Castle one as well, and uh, the Oystermouth Castle one. There's a number of these. Um, why do you think that this sort of ghost keeps popping up in Wales and, and why do you think a lot of people are seeing these white ladies do you think it's a, a cultural thing or is it something unique to Wales do you think I think there it is a cultural thing yes in one respect because it's it's almost a cliche isn't it if you look at a lot of the old the old sort of gothic romantic tales of knights in shining armor and because th these kind of ghosts these white ladies and black ladies and green ladies and there is a green lady in in Philly, but these kind of ladies are usually connected with castles and historical places and the stories connected with them about these chivalrous knights it's it's usually the brave man who is the hero and it's usually the woman who who pays the ultimate price and gets tragically killed so the hero can weep over their loss and then they come back to haunt them. And, you know, that, that could just be it. You know, it could just be somebody saw something weird. There's this old romantic story connected to the building where a woman died. So it must have been that woman. And it, it kind of reminds me in a way of um, opera. And, and there aren't many connections between ghosts and opera. But um, th th there's this joke with opera where if you can't be bothered to sit until the end, it doesn't matter because they all end in the same way she dies at the end. And it's a bit like, it's a bit the same with these old ghost stories where she dies at the end, the knight survives, she dies at the end, and then comes back to haunt as a white lady. And that's probably one of the best theories I've got for it, really. Why, what, what do you think, Owen? Why do you think there are so many? I don't know. I've got to be honest. I mean, um, I was just this morning recording a, um, a story about the White Lady of Oystermouth, which, um, and there's some lovely sort of um, uh, uh, sightings over the years, and uh, some featured in your book as well. And um, I just think a white lady is close to what you, you see as a stereotypical ghost, isn't it? Maybe if you see that 
shadow that's that that white glare if you like you can associate with a with a white lady and as you say it's such a stereotypical thing over the years but there are you know a number of some of the most credible sightings that have been seen locally especially in Oystermouth mentioned by yourself and the um the Margham Castle one in particular uh, are actually of these white ladies and I just I just wondered if there was anything in particular that drew them to this area and um whether it was a particularly a Welsh thing or whether all over the UK all over the world these white ladies were seen maybe something for a future story well certainly certainly all over the uk and um, i mean like, like you were saying i mean saying a white lady i mean it's it's so vague you're, you're not saying if it's a you know a tall or a short lady or what what is she wearing it, it could just be a white blob uh, but then you know it's just it's part of the culture now isn't it you're like oh yes it must be the white lady when it you know it could just be you know some smoke but there you go <laughs> yeah, it could be. And you say there's not much connection between opera and ghosts, except, of course, in Craig and Ose, where there's loads of collection. Uh, of connection course, yes. Them. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I'm going on back to the book. Anyway, there's some fantastic photographs of this bag. I'm really, really impressed with some of the, uh, the photos you've managed to take. And uh, also some of your friends as well. And um, it really makes the book pop and come alive. Um, are we going to see more of this in sort of future books where you're going to feature a lot of photography? And have you taken any photos and found anything weird in them when you looked at the back as well? Well, photography it is, it isn't one of my strong points, but um, going back to what, what I was saying about being a journalist, certainly being a journalist now, what they call multimedia journalists, and it, it's a sad state of affairs, but with cutbacks and things and people doing multiple jobs, journalists are expected to take their own photos when they're out and about, whereas in the old days, you would take a professional photographer with you. And so you kind of, you have to learn some basics just to, just to do your job in a way in, in, in that respect. As to the photos in the book, all of the good ones were taken by other people. I, I've only included photos by me when I had no choice. So if, if, if the professionals hadn't taken them, it, they had to be mine. And I, I, I like to think it's nice to get a balance between photography and words because one of the things I'm quite passionate about with this book and, and, and another one I've got coming up, but I think, and this is something you do as well, Owen, rather than just tell somebody a story about some ghost in some castle in some place, I think if you can tell people this ghost was called George, let's say, and it's in this particular castle, and you can visit this castle, and this is what it looks like, I think that's much more, it, it sort of, it, it re-enchants the world a little bit by putting these ghosts back out there in places that people can jump in their car and go and visit and they'll see it and they'll go, that, that's the place in the book. That's the place where the ghost is. And it's just a little, little thing. Like, like I said, I use the word re-enchanting, but it's a little way to put some magic back into the world, I think. Oh, very much so. And, and that's something you do as well. And uh, there's a lot of that in this book. And also a lot of inspiration for people to go and expect, you know, to go to these locations and perhaps do a little more digging as well, which is something that's really nice. And also a lot of it is very, very local. So there are places that you can visit with the book you know, and it gives you a good sort of uh, stepping stone to, to sort of explore these places uh, a lot deeper. And you touched on stories there and, and your podcast is full of stories. You know, we've had a load of these over the last um, couple of months that the podcast has been running and I thoroughly enjoyed them. And, uh, and, you know, as a storyteller, I always love a good story and uh, adding a little bit of um, spice to the story. And if you've got names and characters involved, it makes it all the best there as well. Is there one particular story that sticks in your mind as, as regards to ghosts? Is it, how, do you have a favourite ghost story? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. And it's one that I've told a million times. And the good thing about doing this on my podcast is I can just refer people back to the other episode because I've already recorded it. And I think my favorite ghost story ever is a story that I call the real life Scooby-Doo story. And, and the reason it's called that is because it does actually have a dog in it which hunts down ghosts. And that was on episode six. So that's, that's a, a, a nice way for me not, not to have to repeat myself. It's on episode six if anyone would like to listen to that. Um, Another favorite, which again, I've already recorded, is the first episode. That's the two-headed phantom of Abba Sachan. And the reason I love that one so much is partly because a two-headed ghost is so unique. I mean, I, I don't know of any other two-headed ghosts in Wales. So in that respect, this is a, a one-off ghost. But the reason it has two heads is such a grisly explanation. It's, it's, it's not just some some ghost who popped up with two heads. 
it gained two heads following a a grisly experience. So um, I'm being slightly cryptic, I guess, but my, my, my favorite two ghost stories would be the Scooby-Doo one from episode six and the two-headed phantom from episode one. <laughs> Brilliant. I, I like the Scooby-Doo one in particular. I really, I always enjoy that when you tell it at the Ghost of Wales events and things. It's always a, a nice one. Um, you probably heard that a hundred times, Owen. <laughs> you probably not, not as much as my stories. I know that, but yeah, it, it's, a, it's one that I have heard a few times, but I always enjoy it. Um, I think it's safe to say, Mark, that you're getting known now about the UK, um, about your excellent sort of work in, in paranormal and, uh, and ghosts and um, curious happenings and things like that. And um, it's really nice to see that uh, more people are getting interested. The podcast is going from strength to strength. Uh, paranormal Wales is now available as well. And what can we expect next? Um, yeah, the, I mean, you, you're right that the, pod, the podcast is doing, um, it, it's really surprised me how well the podcast is doing. And, and so that really, that's all down to the people listening right now. So thank you very, very much for that. Because uh, I remember when I started and I had no idea what, you know, what was good figures, what was bad figures. I just, I just recorded this thing, put it out there and hoped for the best. And I, I checked the numbers against this website that said, you know, if, you, if you're getting this many listeners, you're in the top 20% in the world or something. And I thought that that can't be right. <laughs> Who the hell's listening to this thing? But but the podcast is doing very well. So that that is right at the top of my list of things to you know to really really work on. And that's going to keep going every week until you know until I keel over. I guess I'm going to keep doing that one. Um, I've got my next book, which is finally coming out in June 2021. It's been massively delayed because of the whole situation in the world right now it was supposed to be a well it still is a companion piece to paranormal whales and i was hoping they'd come back they'd be released quite close together as it turns out there's been a big gap of about a year but it in a way that might be a good thing you know because who who wants to release two books that close together anyway so my next book called illustrated tales of whales will be out in june fingers crossed and otherwise i mean i think that's that's quite enough to keep me quiet for the moment really so i'm just gonna podcast more books and and everything else ah, that's brilliant mark and i really look forward to that one i mean i thoroughly enjoyed paranormal whales and i'd i'd recommend it to anyone really with an interest in this sort of thing there's some stuff that um a lot of people would know about there's some stuff that's a little bit obscure um there's it there are a load of places that I really want to visit, having read this, um, uh, some of the stories you have here and, uh, and some of the tales which you feature. Very atmospheric, a very, very um, a standout piece. And where can we get it, Mark? Where can we get this book? Uh, it's available in all good bookshops, <laughs> the usual thing, all good bookshops. It's available in all the good online places. I won't name drop them, but you know all the big online places. And if anyone would like a signed copy, Signed copies are available from the comic shop in Swansea. Now, I'll spell that because it's not comics and shop. It's comics with an X, C-O-M-I-X, and shop as in ye olde shoppy, so shoppy, S-H-O-P-P-E. But if you do a search for comics, shoppy, spelt that way in Swansea, they can sort out a signed copy for you if anybody wants a signed copy either sent to them or ideally pop in if you are anywhere near Swansea. Oh, that's brilliant, Mark. That's great. Hey, thank you very much for talking to us about, um, about Paranormal Whales. And, thank um, you, Owen. I, I, need to, I need to reclaim my podcast now, I guess, don't I? And uh, take it back. Oh, but that was great. And uh, I really look forward to um, seeing the, the illustrated tales from Wales as well. That really sort of piqued my interest. Um, so, yeah, I look forward to that as well. Thank you. Yeah. And before, before you disappear, Owen, I should ask, because this is the, the Halloween episode as well, what, what are your plans for Halloween this year? Well, who knows? If I can leave my house, my plans will be extensive. But if I can't, <laughs> it'll be very much a, a haunt in for myself, I think, in the um, I'll, I'll glare at the window and speak in a spooky way and, and shout some tales into the night, I think. But um, <laughs> yeah. Some, some uh, of the neighbours look forward to yeah, we'll see what happens. But um, what with the world the way it is at the moment, um, Halloween, um, I'll just have to see what, uh, what comes from it. But um, always one of my favourite times of the year. And um, one which you can really make kind of special, I think. And um, hopefully everyone who's listening to this is really enjoying it as well. So uh, happy Halloween all. Thank you very much, Owen. Happy Halloween. And of course, before I let you go off and enjoy Halloween, Owen, where can we check out your current videos? Because I know there are some new ghost stories and things out there. How can we track you down? 
Absolutely. Well, as you know, Mark, uh, getting out there performing has been quite difficult the last few months. So what I've tried to do is put on some of my stories onto YouTube. Very simply told, it's just me in a chair telling tales. But if anyone wants to check them out, they are Time Between Times Storytelling, uh, or just type in Owen Staten in YouTube. And every week I put out a new video all about Welsh folklore, ghost stories, historical things, and I'd invite any sort of feedback. And anyone who'd like to follow me on Twitter, that would be absolutely fantastic. It's oh, if you type in Owen Staten, that's fine. But my actual twit, uh, Twitter handle is Owen S. Griffiths. But yeah, please get in touch there. And if you've got anything you'd like to see me cover in the future, that would be absolutely fantastic. Thank you very much. Happy Halloween to you. And happy Halloween. Thank you very much, Owen. I hope you found that little chat interesting. And I promise that is my one and only bit of shameless self-promotion this year. Well, maybe until my next book comes out in June or July. But until then, I promise I will focus on other people and I will not talk about myself. But I hope you enjoyed that look at some of Wales's most haunted places. And it's always wonderful to catch up with Owen, who I think is going to be back on this podcast sooner than you might expect. Tune in next week. But Owen isn't the only friend joining me on this episode. Coming up next is not one, but two special guests. Two special guests, Sarah and Leanne, from the ghost hunting group Cymru Paranormal. Now, I've got an entire episode dedicated to Cymru Paranormal coming up in November, and I will tell you all about them and look into what they do in more detail then. But for now, let us just say that I've been friendly with Cymru Paranormal for a few years. We met at a convention a few years ago in Bath University. I was there to give a talk about Victorian ghosts. They were there because they are fully trained members of ASAP, which is a good thing. Again, we'll talk about that more next month, but it is a good thing to have fully trained ghost hunters, not just... You you, you don't want people who've watched one too many episodes of a TV show, and then they just start going out, wandering around people's houses looking for ghosts. You want people who are a little bit more ethical and a little bit more trained in what they do, And that is exactly what Sarah and Leanne and the rest of Cymru Paranormal are. And what I would like to know on this podcast, because they would usually talk at my live events, and for this podcast, I would like to catch up with them and talk about Halloween. Because Halloween is seen as a time for people to go out looking for ghosts. And what I want to know is that, is Halloween any better than the rest of the year? Or do people just do it? Because, you know, it's it's the traditional thing to do. It's Halloween. It's spooky. Watch some horror movies, carve some jack-o'-lanterns, go on a ghost hunt. Well, to find out via the magic of the internet once more, I am now going to dial in and talk to, fingers crossed, Sarah and Leanne. Is there anybody there? Hi, Mark. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you very well. Yeah, it's, not yeah. the same. it's not the same talking to you guys online for this book launch would be much nicer if we were in the same room but there there you go what can you do absolutely absolutely but you know we um we adapt don't we so it's sarah here speaking from camry paranormal uh for everybody listening of course i should i should have explained uh, do you want to say hello as well leanne so we can uh... yeah hi everyone hi mark <laughs> there we are. and that's leanne so if people can memorize those voices they'll know exactly who's speaking now and uh, <laughs> yeah. so obviously we're not meeting up this year but what are you guys doing for Halloween if anything? Well we were planning on um, hopefully getting together obviously it's ever changing so we've sort of shelved any plans at the moment with um, everything that's going on and we're just going to take things as they come. We'll probably hook up uh, do something online uh, together so you know we're just going to take it every day really Mark. Yes yeah just make it up on the night and see what happens absolutely absolutely you know we're in an ever-changing situation so it's what it is you know we're all keeping in touch anyway and um you know we'll continue to do that virtually and and see what happens yeah so if this if this wasn't happening this year if this was a normal year 
if this was 2019 again, say, people do think Halloween is a good time to go out looking for ghosts. That's when it's in the press and it's all over the newspapers and websites, Halloween and ghosts. Is that purely the press or do you think it is actually a good time to go out looking for, for things? Well, you know, I, I tend to think, uh, you know, yes, there's a lot of um, folklore and, um, and everything behind Halloween, but I think it's quite a nice, nice time of year for everybody to get together and to investigate somewhere, um, maybe go somewhere a little bit special. And it just adds that little bit of air to it. And, I, I, you know, I think it's quite an important date in the calendar, a celebration, you know, whatever your feelings are. But, uh, yeah, I think it's it's quite nice. We've met as um, a group for a number of years around Halloween. Leanne will talk about a couple of those. Uh, and, you know, we've had, we've had a great night. We've always done it sort of, um, you know, taking a nice Halloween sort of food along you know your ghosts and your ghoulies little biscuits and stuff like that so just adds a little bit so i i would encourage anybody to go at halloween just really um because it is halloween so whatever better time of the year to to investigate ghosts and the paranormal than the the night where they say that the two worlds join so it doesn't really matter if you find ghosts because you're guaranteed to have nice ghoulie biscuits at least so that, that makes it Absolutely. worthwhile doesn't it to get together and... yeah and, and i think you know um you've touched on a good point there it doesn't really matter if you don't you know potentially experience anything at all um i mean if you personally experience i mean that's an absolute bonus but you know sometimes when you'll go into a lot of these buildings it's the overall atmosphere it's actually taking in the appreciation of the history of the place the building what would have been happening etc so you know you encompass all of that in when you're going out investigating and even if you've had a quiet evening and there hasn't been anything extraordinary that's happened you still come away with a lovely feeling about the place a nice buzz so yeah just always stay open-minded i say you know but it's, it's about managing people's expectations yeah I, I i agree that's exactly what i think when i when i i mean i'm not a professional like you guys but when i go on these investigations it's just cool being in an old castle for the night or somewhere, isn't yeah. it? You know, it's just to be out in the boat. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and as a group of people, we've been to some absolutely, you know, stunning locations. And, and we've been invited to some equally stunning locations. And, um, you know, when you're sat somewhere and, it, you know, you've got walls that are 500 years old and you start thinking about everything that's happened and gone on within those four walls, it's, 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 that's quite mind-blowing, really, you know? If you start looking at that, I just think it's fantastic. And we're so fortunate in the UK that we've got so many wonderful buildings and so many, you know, and, and that can be outside as well. You know, we're not even just talking about inside, you know, we've got lots of places outside that are of equally of interest in the UK. And so I think, you know, we're, we're very fortunate. Do you think there's anywhere, and I, I, I appreciate this is going to be a, a heck of a question under the circumstances, but if people, maybe they were thinking of joining a ghost hunt or something for Halloween, and they can't do that now, could they pop to the local haunted pub or something and do something themselves? Or would you not recommend people go out and just do, do things spur the moment? Well, I'll, I'll leave Leanne to answer that question because, um, you know, we're, we're, we're sort of quite open to that, uh, you know, at wherever you are. So I'll, I'll, I'll pass that one to Leanne. There we are. Leanne, you've been given my tricky question. <laughs> um, well, I, I think there's, there's plenty of scope for investigating almost anywhere, really. Um, you know, Sarah's been talking about um, these, these beautiful buildings that we're, you know, very lucky to have been in, investigated. Um, and they've got a lot of history behind them. You know, they're hundreds and hundreds of years old. So there's so many things that have happened there previous. Um, but there's even just outdoor places. Um, it doesn't have to be a building. It could it could be a local pub. Um, whether you can get in there um, after ten o'clock, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and we um, hunt. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we, we've we've done outdoor investigations um, in forests and near um, various different monuments and places like that. Um, so by all means, 
feel free to to go out and investigate as long as you're keeping safe and you know you can see where you are and what you're doing i, I quite like that so in a way it, it's get outdoors isn't it and that, that's that's probably going to be the cheapest one you can do it's not going to cost you anything is it to go to these places after dark and as long as you take an umbrella and you should be okay yeah that's it. and as long as you've got a torch you know where you're going yes um, yeah no reason why not we, we've done it many many times you know sometimes a little bit ad hoc you know we've got an evening free do you fancy popping out somewhere and we've gone out several times and investigated um even just a a small group which is quite handy for us at the moment so we've gone out as a group of four a group of six um you know we've gone out as a group of 10 or 15 sometimes as well it just depends on numbers and do you find that not that evidence and things is the be all and end all of it but do you find they're just as successful, if that's the right word, as, you know, going to some established mansion or something, say? Yeah, they can be, definitely. Um, you know, we've, we've got a few sort of favourites that we, we nip to every now and again. Um, but yeah, we've had, there's, there's been obviously some uh, unusual experiences we've had in, in these places. Um, but as Sarah said before, sometimes it's just being out there with people and, you know, just... The, the atmosphere of it all really that that makes it yeah that, again i said it earlier that that's what i love about them is being out there with like-minded people and just you have a good time at the same time don't you as well as the uh the ghosts are a bonus if, if yeah. they turn up <laughs> but absolutely and um what i would say is that if anybody were looking to do anything outside over halloween uh, you know i mean there are some fantastic places that you can go you know there's um uh the, the old historical burial um, chambers that are about, etc. All we would say is that if you're outside, always respect where you are. Always respect that there may be people's houses close by. You know, don't venture onto private land. So if it if it says you know this is private property, please don't enter. You know, just just really consider where you're going but you know there's there's so many places there's old ruined castles about you know when you can just take that in and what better time halloween tends to be historically from my memory certainly over the last few years tends to be quite a dry evening so what better than to be outside when it's dark you've got a group of people you've got some torches you've got your eyes and your ears that's all you need and just you know see see what happens see what uh, experiences you feel it's it's you know see what personal experiences you feel it's not always about you know going out and controlling everything because obviously when we do strict investigations we're control 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 if you're doing something like that you can't really control what's going on you can't control if there's going to be a car driving past somewhere etc but just enjoy it just enjoy it but always respect always respect your surroundings and the people who could be around there you do realize you've jinxed us now and it's going to hammer down on halloween and i'll be <laughs> phoning you up on october the 31st with sarah i was i'd all the i was going to go to the forest looking for ghosts tonight but it's it's soaking <laughs> that's sarah's fault <laughs> yes yes i mean just just quickly on that i mean just from a practical point of view i i guess you know you don't get the police turning up or anything when if people might see some people they don't recognize walking around in the woods does that ever happen or is it pretty safe well well you know it, obviously it can happen um y- you know if you if you're somewhere out and you're in the country but actually there could be a house around and they they hear and see an, a group of people you know the police might drive by but ordinarily you know it wouldn't unless you were up to no good uh, and then you know you can expect the police to to drive by and sort of pick you up then can't you but um overall you know you're, you're quite safe but like i say it's about respect isn't it it's it's about everywhere you go it's about respecting what is there and you know uh, don't don't go you know getting drunk and you know causing any damage etc you know just uh, be sensible and just enjoy and, and relax take it all in and that really that should apply to any investigation shouldn't it don't get drunk be sensible yeah. get as drunk as you want afterwards yeah. but during it Absolutely. yeah be yeah. sensible yeah. and uh, yeah yes. yeah now you mentioned earlier and i think i'm gonna have to pick on leanne again for this one let's see Le- leanne is there for the for the tough questions but yeah you did say about <laughs> halloween events in days gone by and leanne has got sort of the 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 best examples of your 
or your parties? Is that fair to call them parties or your best Halloween investigations? Yeah, we've we've had. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if we call them parties as such, but um, <laughs> get together. We, yeah, we get into trouble for stuff like that. But um, no, we've we've been to um, so many different locations, and we try to make a point of obviously Halloween being the important one. You know, with the seasons change and everything, it, it is always a special time of the year. Um, so a few times we've actually had whole weekends away. Um, so we might have sort of more of a relaxed uh, first night where, you know, we have, we, we have food and, you know, we get together and, and things like that. But then the following day would always be, you know, the, the more serious investigation side of things that we would do. In fact, one that we went to last year, Mark, I believe you came with us as well in Newton House. I remember Newton House. Yes, yes. A fine choice. Yeah. So that, that was a lovely location because we were able to, to hire it for the weekend. Um, so we, we had plenty of time to, you know, get really get used to the, the place. Um, so we had some really wonderful access there. and We spent a long time in, in all parts of the building. Um, so that, that was pretty special. Um, you know, and in in the past, we've done other weekends. We've been to North Wales and had a, a whole weekend up there investigating um, Beaumaris. We've trying to think of the other ones we've done. We've done Margam Castle, uh, which again, I, th- I think you came with us to, to one of those as well, Mark. I'm, I'm like a bad penny. I keep turning up on all of these things. Yes. <laughs> no, no, we yeah. lo- we love it when you come with us, Mark. <laughs> it, it adds to the evening. Um, a novice yeah, to pick we- on, yes. <laughs> uh, I think we did Tritower uh, Court and Castle as well for another one. So that was a, another one. That was that was a bit of a spooky one because it was all foggy and it was a bit of a misty yeah. night. That one. Uh, so that that added to the atmosphere quite a bit as well. Saint Breville's. Yes, yeah, Saint Breville's. Many a weekend yeah. Saint Breville's. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, we we've had some weird sort of correlations as well. You know uh, where we've. We've had 13 guests, um, you know, and we've, we've gone there on Friday the 13th, which is probably the closest to, to Halloween we've, we've managed to get. So rather than get Halloween, we've got Friday the 13th in October. Still creepy. Uh, yeah, exactly. So, you know, we, we, we go with the hype there and see if, um, see if it brings any, any differences there. Um, but, we, yeah, we've had so many different investigations. So we're, we're missing out this year, unfortunately. Well, next year, we'll, we'll just have to, well, we, so you, you guys, if I tag along, we, <laughs> we'll just have the, the biggest party ever, I guess, to make up for it. So Yeah, you, that's, you, you're always welcome to, to come with us as well, Mark. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, you. Weirdly, you've reminded me, you mentioned Newton Hall there. And normally when we do these events, we have the spooky belly dancers with us. Who I'm sure you know, the, the Lotus Sisters. Yeah. Did you know Ronnie from the Lotus Sisters was the tour guide at Newton Hall? And after we did that event there, after we spent the night there, I went back, bumped into Ronnie, and she showed me some of the spookier places there. And she showed me a mummified cat, which is buried underneath the floor, which if I'd known that at the time of the investigation, would have been a great place to go and uh, look around. But there you go, hindsight. I I know now, I know the next time, or if anyone goes to Newton Hall, there is a mummified cat buried underneath one of the floorboards. Wow. But uh, on that note, because I I know um, I'll be getting you guys back on very soon in a couple of weeks to talk about all that you do and to to give people a lot more information about how Cymru Paranormal investigate. But in the meantime, if anyone listening to this fancied getting in touch with you or getting involved in some way, how is the best way for people to do that? So we've got our website, www.cymruparanormal.com. We've got our Facebook page Camry Paranormal our Twitter account Camry Paranormal Instagram Camry Paranormal or drop us an email uh, inquiries at camryparanormal.com so uh, most of the info to be honest if you want to contact us and, and get a formal responses email there's a pattern here isn't there as long as people go looking for Camry Paranormal they'll find you on, on pretty, they'll find you. Yeah. pretty much yeah. anything and yeah. um, well just quickly is there anything else you'd like to say about Halloween before we catch up again or is that uh, all your Halloween adventures well we, we've got we could talk forever about Halloween and Halloween adventures but um, we'd have nothing to talk about next time no exactly <laughs> but yeah just all really enjoy it you know it's a great evening whatever you're doing 
whether you're just in the house, whether you're out, just enjoy it, you know, make the most of the evening. It only happens once a year, so make, make the, the most. most of it. Exactly. Excellent. Thank you very much both, and I'll speak to you very, very soon. Happy Halloween. And you. Thanks, Mark. And thank you very much, Cymru Paranormal. And while this year is an unusual year, I hope that has inspired you in some way to maybe get a little bit creative with your Halloween parties or whatever you get up to this year because, in a way, it proves that you don't need lots of money, you don't need fancy costumes, you don't need loads of friends and loads of alcohol. Well, maybe the alcohol, but uh, no, I'm joking, I'm joking. But you don't need all of that to enjoy yourself on October the 31st. Maybe you know of just the perfect spot you and some friends can go and investigate and just scare yourself silly a bit before going home, watching some spooky films, carving some pumpkins, and maybe reading a few pages of Paranormal Whales. Okay, that really is my last my last bit of shameless self-promotion. But what I'd like to do to wrap up this fifth and final Halloween episode, because as regular listeners will know, I have dedicated the entire month of October to Halloween. That's five episodes. This is the fifth one. The other four are still out there. If you would like to go back and listen to them, they tell the history of Halloween. They look at the folklore of Norse Kalangaya, the Welsh Halloween. They look at Jack O'Lantern, the curious Welsh Jack O'Lantern, which, well, it does some nasty things in the forests at night. So if you wanted to go and check those out, they are all there. And of course, that is something else. Another alternative you could do on October the 31st, if you are totally out of ideas, why not sit there and listen to my Halloween specials? And that brings me to the point in the episode where I like to ask what you think about all this. It's always great to hear from people. I'd love to know what you are doing this Halloween or what you did, depending on when you are listening to this. So track me down. It's quite easy to do. You can track me down via my website or on social media. Just do a search for Mark Rees, put the word ghosts or whales or folklore in, and I will pop up on top, and we can have a chat online all about this. And coming up next week, with Halloween done and dusted, sadly, for another year, we are going to look at some of the curious traditions surrounding Guy Fawkes Night on November the 5th. And that episode will be released on November the 5th. How appropriate. And to make sure you don't miss that, as usual, please consider hitting the subscribe button and you will never miss an episode ever. Now, to wrap up the final part of the final Halloween episode. I've mentioned many a time on these Halloween episodes how much I love the classic old American books about the holiday, and not just the historical ones. Any of these cool American books about Halloween are are great. I devour them. But there is one absolute classic I think we have not touched upon yet. And really, it would be unfair to do five episodes all about Halloween and not mention the late, great Ray Bradbury. Now, some people will be nodding their heads in agreement about now. Those who are not probably have not read the book. But that book is The Halloween Tree, which for many people growing up is the definitive work of fiction about Halloween. And it has some lovely little verses in it, some little bits of poetry, which I think sound great even when lifted from the context of the book. And that is what I would like to do to wrap up this epic five-week-long Halloween countdown by reading to you some of those evocative words used by Ray Bradbury in The Halloween Tree. So before I leave you, it just leaves me to say thank you very much for listening to all of these Halloween episodes. I hope you've enjoyed them as much as I've enjoyed recording them, and thank you to all of my guests along the way. 
I've been Mark Rees. This has been my Ghosts and Folklore podcast, the Halloween specials beaming to you from Wales to the world. It's the best. It's the beautiful. It's the only Ghosts and Folklore podcast. And it just leaves me to say, have a very happy Halloween in Norse Kalangayev Hapis. And after clearing my throat, <coughs> always clear your throat before poetry. I will read you this verse and leave you to go on your merry way in search of ghosts and ghouls and whatever is lurking on the crossroad tonight. And whatever you do, beware the hook, the gutter. To quote Ray Bradbury, The leaves have burned to gold and red. The grass is brown, the old year dead. But hang the harvest high, O sea, the candle constellations on the Halloween tree. The stars, they turn, the candles burn, and the mouse leaves scurry on the cold wind born. And a mob of smiles shine down on thee from the gods hung high on the Halloween tree. The smile of the witch and the smile of the cat, the smile of the beast and the smile of the bat, the smile of the reaper taking his fee, all cut and glimmer on the Halloween tree. Until next time, no star and listen carefully for that very special Halloween sound effect. <laughs> <laughs>